You're listening to Return Again, where we look at Aliyah through the lens of Olim who have lived in Israel long enough to have perspective. I'm Goel Jasper, and my guest today is Malka Fleischer. Malka grew up in Sherman, Texas, in a strongly Jewish but not observant family, the only Jewish kid in her high school class. Through various twists and turns, she finally arrived in Israel and has been impacting the Jewish people ever since. I found Malka's story fascinating and meaningful. Not that I should be surprised, after all, she's married to Yishai Fleischer, who I also interviewed about six months ago. I sat with Malka recently in her Efrat home to listen to her story, laugh, and even shed a tear as she told her story of visiting the Kotel for the first time, bringing along with her all of her ancestors. It's a description not to be missed. Here's Malka Fleischer returning again. Congratulations, because you guys are the first husband and wife I've interviewed. Thank you. It is a big honor. When I heard that, I couldn't even believe it. So I want you to know. Yeah. And when I interviewed Ishai, I started asking him questions. He's like, you know, you should really interview Malka. Really? I think her story's better. Aww. That's nice. So we'll find out. Okay, yeah. We'll let the listener be the judge. (laughs) Okay. First question. Yes. When's the first time you ever heard about the concept of Aliyah? The first time I ever heard the concept of Aliyah. Well, I'll tell you that it's not like I didn't know that Jews live in Israel. You know what I mean? It's not like I woke up to the idea um, of well, Jews living the, in when's Israel. When's the first time you ever even heard of Israel? Like, oh, this is something you very, grew up with? From a very young age. Uh, my, gran- my grandparents, my father's parents are Holocaust survivors. Mm-hmm. And my father was born in a DP camp. Really? Like in Cyprus or whatever? In in Germany. Oh, actually in Germany. So so the idea of having the the concept of Israel for us and our family, I feel, was really as like a safe haven for the Jews. You know, the Jews like survived the Holocaust and then we, you know, created this state and it's like incredible and it's the state of the Jews and we need the state very badly as a refuge for the Jewish people. Um, and my parents, I grew up secular, like Bacon. <laughs> That's like, secular. Like tank tops, like extended cab Chevy in Texas. Wait, why Why does extended cab Chevy It's just, I want to give you, well, not necessarily, <laughs> but I want to give you a picture of like a girl growing up in Texas in the South. Um, we were definitely Jewish. It's kind of interesting because like my, my, we did not keep kosher like at all, at all, at all, at all. Um, not remotely, not remotely. Like, I think, like, at least 30% of my body is made of pork. <laughs> like, like, in other words, it wasn't even a consideration. It was, no, it was not even No, a and in fact, if it was a consideration, it was like, we don't need to do that. Uh-huh. Um, that's, that's like the old antiquated thing that Jews used to do. Um, so... So I, but I, but at the same time, I grew up with like a very strong Israel consciousness. And I think that that came out of the Holocaust experience. Um, And just like the Jewish pride thing was very strong. And at the same time, my parents, it's kind of funny. Like I grew up in like a small town in Texas, no Jews. It was frankly very hard as a child. Um, I grew up amongst Southern Baptists. Right. And like they were mostly okay, but like sometimes not okay. And yeah. sometimes people that I thought were my friends would suddenly come up to me and like invite me to church and stuff. Right. Uh, which I did not do. And my <laughs> parents, like I was in choir, for example. 
um, and we did like a Christmas show, quote unquote winter show, but let's sure. just we be all, real, yeah. right? So <laughs> it was a Christmas show and there would be like songs about like Yoshki, right? And like my parents wouldn't let me sing them. So I would be standing up in the front of the whole, everybody who came to this choir thing and I would be like standing there and it was like a message. Okay, and like you're not allowed to do that in public schools and one could interpret it as like a church and state protest or something, but like in the reality it was that I was a Jew and I wasn't going to sing that stuff. And my parents, they even like allowed me like to date, for example, which I didn't really do, but they allowed me to date and I could date anyone I wanted, but I could only marry a Jew, right? Very interesting. It was their psychology. I, I imagine there are other people who grew up like this too. You know, it's funny. I just heard a podcast of Adam Sandler the other day. Oh, really? And he, um, I, I don't know if you've ever seen any of his movies, but like, there's there, a lot of Jewish stuff going right. on in his it's movies. Right, it's like Jewish and gross. And, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and he, he said in the interview, he was asked about the whole Jewish right. thing, you know, the Hanukkah song and everything. He said, I grew up clearly aware that I was Jewish and proud of the fact that I was Jewish, but I grew up with so little right. in terms of really understanding, he referred to it as the ritual stuff, right. that I feel this responsibility to do Jewish things to the degree that I'm able. That's, that's really and so nice. like a similar that's kind beautiful. of thing. So like have, not singing those Christmas songs, right. that was like well, as a real statement for doing, us. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I want to say two things about what you just said. First is you have no idea how big of a deal that Adam Sandler song was for me as a kid. Wow. It came out when I was in high school. Yeah. And like there was no Jewish song. There was no Jewish anything clearly and a Hanukkah song and like it was cool and it was Adam Sandler. And I was so proud of that song. Like I didn't care about, I don't know who these actors are mostly and like I don't care. But just that someone would come up with a Hanukkah song and like kids mentioned it to me in school because I was the Jewish kid, right? right. I was, was such it a big deal. that you were like the was you? Jewish kid. Brothers, sisters. I have a sister. She had a less hard time than me somehow. Okay. Okay. Um, she like she um, like melded in better. I was like I was more of a sore like a sore thumb. Yeah. So that song comes out. Yeah. So the Adam Sandler. Oh, so the second thing is that actually. For the first few years of my life, I actually went to Jewish school. I grew up in Sherman, Texas. Which is near what? Which is 65 miles north of Dallas. But my parents right. joined a carpool of kids who were going to like a preppy school in Dallas. Right. And they sent me to a Jewish school until fifth grade. Okay. Sixth grade, they finally took me out. They thought I was learning too much Jewish like studies and not enough um, secular stuff, and they felt that it wasn't so important, and it was like an hour and a half drive each way. Every day? Every day. So you're... Um, you're I would get up early, early, like early in the dark. waking up at 5 o'clock in the I morning. I was waking up at like 5, 5.30 in the morning and starting from kindergarten. Wow. Um, and that was a huge Masiru Nefesh of my parents, like a huge um, personal sacrifice of my parents, like a real investment in time and effort. And I really believe that that paved the way for me to be where I am today, which is a religious Jewish, you know, Israel activist in Judea, right? So yeah. um, even though I grew up, like, even though the beginning of the story is, like, pork and pickup trucks, like, the reality is that I had, like, like, oh, my story is long and complicated. I don't know if we're, like, jumping around, but, 
when I when I ultimately did become religious, right. which was in law school, um, when I was around 20, 21, uh, my parents were enraged. They 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 completely did not accept it. They were really really freaked out by it, and we had like some really seriously bumpy years um, after that for like four years. We had some like we were barely in contact. Yeah. Um, but like I am a product of them. Right. That's like the reality. The reality is that they put me in this like trial by fire. They told me that I was like a Jew and they made that important. They were always supporters of Israel. Um, like like blindly. Like they just they were just loyal, which right. I think is something it's like a beautiful characteristic, which I think is kind of missing in our generation a little bit. Our generation likes to complicate things. They just think <laughs> that, I don't even know. I think that our generation um, wants to be comfortable with what it thinks, right? And so it doesn't mm -hmm. always want to ask itself, like, it doesn't want to, I don't know, maybe it's just that loyalty as a value is not, is not quite as... Um, as important, even in messaging, like choosing your family, like I can choose my family, right? And in the sense, I, who could not agree with that? Like we, some of us have like dearest, dearest friends who are our family, that's true. At the same time, like your really, really messed up uncle is your family, that is your family, right? right, right. And so like, do you get to unchoose your family too? Like, do you choose your family and unchoose your family? Like, uh, I don't know. So anyway, I think that the, there once w was a time in which, like, there were certain loyalties which were expected of you, and some of those were detrimental and some of those were not. Like, there's a bad side to that and there's a good side to that. Anyway, so... Okay, so let's, yeah. let's go back. So as, so as a kid, I don't know if you remember this, yeah. but what was Israel to you? You mentioned safe haven mm -hmm. style appreciation and, and that kind of thing, but, like... Um, do you remember any anything that took place in that Jewish school that was Israel oriented? Or yes, actually, now that you ask me, I do remember one thing. We had we had um, a Yom Ha'atzma'ut day in right. school, and I remember this as a kid so well. And they took us they took us like on a tour of Israel, but inside the school. Cute. So the first thing that they did was give us this like little Israeli passport. Right. Wouldn't it be cool if you still had it? That would be cool. Right. I don't have it. Yeah. But I remember just being like, whoa. Like, I I don't know. There was something. I was little. You like know? it had your picture on it and everything? I think it might have had our picture. And I was just like, I can't. Like, you had to write your name into it right. and stuff. Right. And I just remember, like, being like, I don't know. There was something very, like, exciting to me about it. And then they gave us falafel, which I'd never eaten in any other place. <laughs> We'd eaten falafel and, like. There was music, I remember. I don't know. I just remember that being like a really exciting day. And like a really, I don't know. I felt like I was there a little bit. But I didn't know what that was. So I didn't know where that was. Sure. Um, when I was 15, my parents sent me on like a teen tour. Before there was birthright, mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. had to pay money to go to Israel. <laughs> so um, my parents sent me the um, JCC or whatever, or the Federation in Dallas was running some trip. And my parents sent me on this trip. It was a six-week trip. Summertime summertime and that was a really like again like a really big investment in their part on trying to make sure I got exposure to Israel and I just remember like being blown away that was my first time in Israel um, at 15 
first of all, 15 years old, you see all the like Israeli soldier guys and you're just like, whoa, <laughs> right? That was like an experience. And they're all Jewish. And they're all Jewish. I can marry like, oh my God, That's exactly what it was. Now all these, it's not like I really was not a boy obsessed girl or anything, but like I knew that everyone around me was like someone I had no future with in a sense, in you Texas. know, in Texas. Yeah. Like I could be friends with everybody, but I like, I had no, I knew that like none of these guys was like a future person in my life. And then you come to Israel and you're just like, all these people are Jews. Plus, I grew up where there were no Jews. So like, look at all these Jews. <laughs> it, was, it was so shocking to me. And then when we would drive around on the bus, I was like, this is my land? Like, this is mine? It, it, it hit you that way. It was part of the messaging that I got as a child. Like, as a child, and I guess on this trip too, like, this is the land of Israel, the land of the Jews. And I'm a Jew, so this is my land, right? And this is like ours. And I was just like, wow. And I remember when I got back on the plane, but once upon a time you had to like go out onto the tarmac yeah, yeah, that's right. to get on and off your plane. So Walking up the I steps. remember I got went walked up the stairs and I like turned around and I was like, I'm gonna come back here. So And I and I did. So so let's talk about the trip a little bit. Okay. Because it sounds like it changed your life entirely. Um you get on the plane. With a bunch of other kids. That I did not know. Yeah, I did not know those kids. From the Dallas area. Right. Right, but you're 65 miles away from Dallas. Right. No, so I wasn't friends with is, those kids. You, you left that, that Jewish school when you were 10? 10. 10. Um, so the truth is maybe, no, you knew none of them even from way back when when I you were in that school? I, I knew, actually I did. I knew one person. I knew one person. So you get on the plane, already you must have felt something different was going to be taking place, no? Even a plane filled with Jews is an exciting thing for you back then. Yeah, right? I don't, I, I, I'm sure that's true. I don't remember that as well. I just remember, and I was like a little, I think years of um, guarding myself from like Christian influence and knowing that I was not a part of the society around me really made me like a little bit social, not a little bit, quite a bit socially <laughs> awkward. Right. So it wasn't like I immediately bonded with like all these wonderful Jews and then we like rode off into the sunset and we're yeah. friends forever. Like I was a little bit, it wasn't until I got to college that I like straightened myself out socially um, and I had to spend a lot of time like partying and doing other stuff in order to like normalize myself because I, I think I'd really grown up in like a pressure not a pressure cooker and my parents they tried so hard you know I think they didn't understand how isolated I felt right right um, the age difference between you and your sister is how many four years, years. and it, there was there was never a conversation between the two of you about how difficult it is to be Jewish in that town or anything like that I don't know not really whatever you know you no I don't mm. know uh, my sister also, she's an amazing person, and she was also Joseret Bechuva right. in a miraculous way, an absolutely miraculous way. Um, but we're like, I don't know, like she lives in New Jersey, yeah. and she's doing so great, and she has beautiful kids, and, yeah. and that's awesome. We, but I like, uh, I've chosen a little bit of a different like trajectory with yeah. where I put the emphasis uh, on what I, what I want, I guess. Yeah. No, I don't know, we never... We were like, a, I don't know, I think maybe I was really egocentric, like I didn't talk to her about it. four years it. is a big age difference I should have, like I, I, 
like I said, like I had a lot of like emotional growing to do um, for a while, like some catching up to do. What do you remember from the trip? The 15 year old trip? Like, uh, the cute guys, pretty much. That's it. Come on. No, okay. Um, what do I remember? Oh, there is one memory I have that I think was really, well, I remember seeing the Golan and being like, this is so insanely beautiful. I remember thinking really? the Golan and the Galil were just the most, like insanely, unfathomably beautiful. I, I couldn't stop looking, like my eyes could not drink in enough of it. It was so beautiful. But there is actually one memory. Now that you have, this is funny that we're delving into this trip because I did not think we would talk about this at all today. Um, I remember going to the Kotel for the first time. Yeah. Um, we went on a Friday night, like Friday afternoon, right. whatever Likrata Shabbat is, as Shabbat was coming. And the tour guide very wisely um, did not take us down as a group. Hmm. He took us down to the stairs. Right. And then he would, he would I even feel like crying just remembering it. He would release us one at a time to go down the stairs so we'd have our experience by ourselves. Wow, so you'd each have And so we each saw the Kotel. Now, I did not grow up religious. Right. But I saw the Kotel. most kids on that trip didn't, right? Yeah, well, it was a a conservative. It was like a conservative. So they did definitely, you know, they were part of shuls. and um, I don't know what people's personal... We didn't exactly talk about everybody's personal religious level. Uh, But it was not a Shomer Shabbat trip, for example. Um, but we went down the stairs and I saw the Kotel and I burst out crying and I couldn't control my tears. I was so hysteric. I was hysterical. Wow. I like, I got, I got up to the wall, I remember, and I'm like clinging to it and I didn't understand why. And then it was so, I couldn't, I, <laughs> I even now I'm like tearing up just yeah, remembering yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. And I think, and one of the, but one of the, the memories that came out um was that i felt and it was again like back to this holocaust experience i felt like all these people who had wanted for so long (laughs) to get to the hotel had finally gotten there because i had gotten there that like i had like that's powerful i had (laughs) like crying through your show (laughs) i like i had somebody's nose and like somebody's hair color and like somebody's eyes and all these people who had suffered so much and gone through so much and they and they had only dreamed of this moment and like I had done it for them. Right. I had made it for them. You know, you're supposed to like write a like a petek like that. I a little note. like a little note to put in the hotel. Yeah. I wrote like two pages. <laughs> I, like, I like I like squished it and crammed it and like it totally did not go into yeah, the yeah, hole. Yeah. And like, I don't know what happened to it. I just left it there. But yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like I and like. I, I looked around like other people were not having this reaction. Yeah. Um, but whatever, like it is what it is. I was a little embarrassed, but um, I guess there was something there. Like, uh, do do you still feel something when you go to the hotel? This um, should probably be a standard question because you get all sorts of opinions on on going to the hotel. Right. You know. Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I had the very great merit of living on the Mount of Olives for seven years. Right. Um, that is so huge. Um, and we, our apartment had a view of Harabite, of the Temple Mount. And so I really lived with the Temple Mount. Like, I wouldn't go into my living room without a skirt on and a mipacha. Wow. Like, to that, and to that degree. Like, it yeah. was, I felt like it was not respectful of mm-hmm. the Kedusha outside my window to, to, uh, to do that. Um, I think that my... 
my focus has shifted to the Temple Mount. Um, I feel the, the Western Wall is, is amazing and people should go there. And I know that there is certainly a, um, a major controversy as to whether Jews should go onto the Temple Mount or not go onto the Temple Mount. Yeah. Um, and our family and our rabbi, um, our rabbi's perspective is that you do go to the Temple Mount, that you can and that you should go to the Temple Mount. Right. Um, and so I see the Kotel today um, as, as a wonderful thing and as an amazing thing and a place where you don't have to go to the mikvah and you don't have to follow like all these different rules. And so therefore sure. it's very useful and it has a tradition and everything. Um, to me, I like would like to see us go a couple feet up now um, to <laughs> right. the Temple Mount. But yeah, you know, right. I, uh, I definitely see like uh, I'm not like a regular goer to the Temple Mount. Um, my husband is. Ishai, who you have all met before in a previous interview, um, but um, but I go to the Kotel. I, I go to the Kotel. I take my kids to the Kotel for the Chagim. We try to do like a Zecher le Aliyah Regel. Like we try right. to like go to the Kotel to um, do like as if we were doing Aliyah Regel three times a year and more. Like we go more we than that also. Bring but, a sheep. Uh, a halavai. You <laughs> yeah. know, we, we, I don't bring Someday. a sheep, but I bring charity. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, Okay, yeah. so um, you you get yourself together. <laughs> yeah, I like clean and you, myself and you up. You leave the hotel, and then the right. rest of the trip is just like touring and it's all kinds like of really touring. Um, I don't actually. I remember being let go onto like Ben Yehuda for a while, and like I just I don't I don't I much more remember the feelings than mm -hmm. I remember um, the places we went. You know, they dragged us around to all. We went to like Independence Hall. Right. And we went to the beach, and we went to uh, Yad Vashem, sure. and we went to, gosh, I just, yeah, I yeah. honestly, stuff. to me, I just, I just, it was much more about making a connection to a place and a people that had been far from me for a long time. Right. But that, uh, that, uh, that seemingly were actually not so far from me, and that I actually felt a very powerful connection to, but didn't have access to. Um, and, you know, when I got back on that plane, I just want you to know, like, I didn't think to myself, that was actually not my first Aliyah moment. Um, I, I did not think to myself that I was going to make Aliyah. I knew I would come back to Israel. Right. Um, my As first, a visitor. Right. My first Aliyah moment was actually um, when I started dating in law school, this Israeli guy who told me that he would not really go out with someone like we just started to go out and he said like there's no we can't really take this any further unless you would be willing to move to Israel because I'm moving to Israel after law school and that was actually my first Aliyah moment when I realized I had never even thought of Aliyah ever like even in that powerful moment when I was 15 years old I'd always thought of Israel as this like other place that you come to visit right that you yeah. come and you like maybe you do like a spiritual recharge or you right. like get, you know, buy good tchotchkes and, like, eat a ton of falafel and, like, get filled up with that and then go home. Coca-Cola t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, don't worry, America, Israel is with you, guns right. and Moses, like, all that stuff. Yes. Um, and I was just like, how is it that I never even thought of moving to Israel? And then I realized that I could move to Israel. That was my first Aliyah moment. Where did you go to university? I went to George Washington University. In D.C.? In D.C., and I studied political communication and international affairs. And, and not not considering Israel when you chose. Not when at you all. Chose that. In fact, um, 
not long after I did that teen tour, I um, was accepted into a program by Duke University to travel to China. Wow. That was a really cool trip too, but not necessarily part of this discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I like was became really um, interested in China and in the Far East. And what my dream was when I went to college was to go work for the State Department in the Far East Department. Wow. And my international affairs focus was in China. Right. Interesting. Yep. Okay. So we won't get into the whole becoming religious thing. Okay. Um, I mean, unless you want to. But, Whatever you want. But that takes place at the beginning of law school That took place in law school. Okay. No so, hints or any... No, there were always, the, there were like blaring like red lights, in, but I didn't in see. DC? <laughs> like, like, was there like a Hillel association? So the truth you, is, I did well in, law, in high school. Okay. Um, and I applied to a lot of schools. And I got accepted into pretty much every school that I applied to. Hmm, and I decided... It was nice, good feeling. Yeah. And I, I decided actually, well, I knew that I was interested in politics and, and political things. And at the time, George Washington had this like really unique program called uh, like a political communication bachelor's where you like learn to be like a press secretary, a campaign manager. And it was the first of its kind. It was really about something that like the whole world is obsessed with now, which is, sure. which is, um, using communications tools to affect political things, which is now basically it feels like what the entire world is based on. But at the time it was like a really, it was a cutting edge. So I knew I liked that program and I was therefore also really interested in DC and all that. Um, but one of my major decisions, one of my major like factors was actually the scholarship I received. I decided to go to the school which gave me the least scholarship. Okay, explain. Thank God my parents were also able to enable that. But uh, I decided not, not, whatever school thought that I was like the less uh, least impressive. Least impressive was probably the best one. Interesting. I don't know if that was like a really. I don't know if I would recommend that to my children yeah. today. But like that was part of my. And my, your parents weren't like, "Have you lost well, your mind?" It, it wasn't like I decided to go to like the University of Hawaii or something. Like right. it made sense. Right. And I applied to schools that made like it was all like sensible decisions. So yeah. it was just a matter yeah. then of I don't even know if I told them that was my decision based on that. Anyway, but that was one of the things I considered. So I went to DC and I really, the truth is I got full rides at University of Texas, full ride at Texas A&M. Um, and I could have gone to those schools for free, um, but I needed to get out of Texas. That's yeah. the truth. And, and, and now having some distance from Texas, like I love Texas. I don't have hard feelings toward Texas or anything. Texas is an amazing state. Um, if you're in the United States, like I think Texas is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful place to live. So full of values, but like I had to get out of there. Right. So I knew I wasn't going to school in Texas. Um, and when I got to uh, DC, that was like a real breath of fresh air for me. And I needed to like shake off some of the like massive chip on my shoulder that I had developed over the course of my years in Texas. And again, I want to reiterate, like my parents, they tried really hard and I had a sweet upbringing and my parents always like supported everything I ever tried to do. Um, it wasn't like I came from like an evil family or something. Like I, <laughs> right. I just had to get away from like the society and go find my like normalcy a yeah. little bit. And I didn't feel that living without Jews, like I, whatever, you get it. So I moved to DC. And I started to get like involved in Hillel a little bit. And I started to like, there's a big Jewish community at all the major universities, but there's a big Jewish community at G George Washington. 
like reform and a little bit conservative. Um, and I tried to like, I definitely did not only become friends with Jews, completely not. I was friends with all kinds of people and I was sure. not keeping kosher and I was not like keeping Shabbat because I didn't grow up with that. Right. Um, and it was like, it was what I needed. Um, it was a very good period for me. I, I um, came, actually came into college with a lot of credits from high school. Right, AP courses. AP courses kind of and also like there were some classes that were done in conjunction with a community college. So I actually had actual college credits. Um, and so I did college in three years. So I was very young and I skipped fourth grade, whatever. So I, ca I came out of college really, really young. I would just turned 20 wow. um, when I finished college. So like I really needed, that was like, in a, you know, those were like my teenage years, like my late teenage years, I really needed to like, I don't know, calm down, like start to understand like the world wasn't like attacking me yeah. in a certain way. Yeah. Um, because it felt, had felt like that a little bit. Like everything was something I needed to protect myself from in, as a child, you know? And then like in college, I just kind of like loosened up. I made friends with Jews. I, you know, it was like I'd come to an oasis a little. Yeah. So um, college was really good. And uh, I actually became religious. But, so I started to like explore a little bit of more of like my own religiosity there and just... It was way more about being part of the Jewish community, I think, than it was about, like, Hashem. Right. Um, and it was only in law school when I went to Cardozo Law School, which is the Yeshiva University's law school, that I was, like, really, I had, like, a major, um, what's the word that you're looking for, where you, like, go be with, like, a lot of people who are the same thing? Immersion. Mm -hmm. I had a real immersion uh, in the Orthodox world which i had actually had as a child if you remember i went to jewish right, school right. Uh, but i came back in in law school and i and i had a lot more there's a lot of orthodox kids at cardoza law school there's also non-jews and not, not religious jews there's all kinds of people there because it's a law school but because it's yeshiva university it has a lot of orthodox jews um, and that was a big exposure to me to um, orthodox lifestyle and orthodox way of thinking um, and i just found it so profoundly impressive what did you like about it? I don't know if you can remember back then, but I that I remember a little now. bit better. Yeah. yeah, I do remember. Um, I remember the first major impression I had was that it's a group of people who are really working on themselves, and I thought that that was by itself. I guess coming out of college and having to like evolve so hard um, into like a better place where I wanted to be. Um, I really was impressed by this lifestyle or this set of values which very much encouraged personal growth. Right. Um, and like, I guess, yeah, that just like, I thought that these were like good people, you know? These are good people who are trying. And I know that there are people out there who are not really trying. Now, you don't have to be a Jew to try, right. obviously. Sure. You know what I'm saying? It's, this is not a monopoly of Jews uh, <laughs> being good or trying. But um, again, I guess it was just part of like this, this powerful urge I've always had to like reconnect to the Jewish identity and this, this like long, it had so many components, like the long historical chain, the, the Holocaust experience, the, the, the like the Jew that's inside that, that just is there, that, that's not explainable. And then um, 
going to be with these Jews. And that was, I started to ask questions of them. And I think, and I'm so smart. I like have these questions. They're like not answerable. And therefore I'm like going to show that, you know, because my parents a little bit, they like, they weren't such big fans of Orthodox Judaism. They thought it was like antiquated and they thought it was anti-women and they thought that it was, um, I don't know. I don't know where they got their impressions of, of Orthodox Judaism from. I never really, I don't want to go there with them. But um, they didn't like think positively of Orthodox Judaism. So I was not out there to fight them or anything like that. But I thought that I would ask some questions and then like kind of like shore up my parents' uh, impressions that they had given me as a child. And that totally did not happen. Right. Um, I asked them questions and they had answers. And if they didn't have answers, they asked their rabbi and their rabbi had answers. And, yeah. and um, I started to, it, it sort of started to gel. I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. It's just, it started to just become clear to me after asking a lot of questions. They would invite me to like prayer things. Now I had done this as a child, right? right. So it was, there was something that was like, etched in you know kind of like there was something that inside, yeah right? <laughs> and and um just things started to click and then at a certain point i just i was like should i start doing shabbat like ah, you know what i mean this is like a whole other thing and i just like had some certain like mir miraculous experiences as i was as i was um asking myself this that like led me to believe that there is a Hashem unless he's like telling me, you know, in not so many words to like go for it. And I just started to realize it just clicked to me at some point that like the Torah is true, mm. like capital T true. It's true. Right. right. And when something is true, if you don't go toward truth, you're living a lie. Like there's either true or there's not true. I know that we live in a world today in which like people disown that concept that there's no such thing as truth, there's not true or not. I don't I do not subscribe to that. <laughs> no, I, I I believe in perspectives. That sure. I definitely believe sure. in. But like sometimes there's something that's true and if you don't go that way, you lack integrity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I don't want to lack integrity. I'm I try hard not to lack integrity. And I and I started to progress and you know, it was it was kind of in steps, yeah. but it also kind of happened pretty fast. And like soon I found myself like not wearing pants, like, you know, like trying to be like these people sure. who I felt, um, you know, could teach me. And they were great. Like they they um, they were always like there was a community of people and they were always there for me, but they did not pressure me. Never. In fact, I used to go to them for Shabbat meals, like these couple girls who were really great. And, they, and like, I remember one time they're like, oh, we don't have dessert. And I like ran to the store and I like <laughs> bought a dessert. And they, I remember only afterwards did I like register that they had this like look in their eyes that they don't know what to do now. Right. You know? Yeah. Or like one time they uh, like left the bathroom light off and I like turned it on and they just kind of looked at each other and they didn't say anything to me. Yeah. Really supportive. Yeah, so so they they were like it was not missionizing. Right. I'm sure they were very happy. Sure, sure. You know sure, what I mean? Sure, sure. I'm sure they were very happy, but they did not they were not trying to get me to do something. So this guy says I only date people who understand that Israel right. is the destination. Mm -hmm. What happens after that? I married him. 
That's Yishai. <laughs> that's Yishai, yeah. That guy is Yishai. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I married him and we moved to Israel. Okay, wait a second, but something <laughs> happened in between. Right. <laughs> what, initially, you were like, oh, well, uh, like, what was your uh, reaction? My reaction that? was okay, like, I hear you. And then, um, like, uh, you know, he wasn't like, and? Like, he didn't sit there and wait for me to tell him something. He was just like, this is it, okay, nice seeing you today, bye. Yeah. And, like, I just remember being like, I... I was so incredulous at myself that I had never even, how had I never even thought of this? And I was like, I could totally live in Israel. Um, would I have made Aliyah definitely if like this relationship had not worked out? I don't know. You know what I mean? I can't say. It's not like I then like was insistent inside my heart that I had to live in Israel, but I was definitely like, I could live in Israel. Like I could live in Israel. And um, that was cool. That was like a cool thought in my head. It, and I was it, very, like, I was wide open to it. it in, in sort of an adventure way or, like, like practically, I could do it. I don't think I knew anything about practicalities. I'm still, you know, growing up right. <laughs> today and trying to learn about practicalities. Yeah. Um, I think I just, on an adventure, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I think I just thought to myself that I don't need to be afraid of that. Like, I... Uh, like Israel's a place to live, huh? Like who would have thunk? Like <laughs> right. Israel's a place to live, not just a place to visit. That that was itself just the thought. I think like Israel's a place to live, not just to visit. And then that was like I had to let that simmer for a while. Now, he was very into activism even back then. Yes. Were you part of any of that? Yes. So talk about that a little bit. Um, the truth is that we actually only got together after I started a pro-Israel organization on Cardozo's campus. Um, we attended, along with lots of other kids, um, an event um, with a school called the New School, which is down the street in New York, which is like a super left um, <laughs> institution. Right. And they brought a guy named Norman Finkelstein to come speak on our campus. Okay, It was about like prospects for peace. Yeah, yeah, sure. They brought Norman Finkelstein, they brought like a very sweet and totally unprepared guy from the Israeli consulate. They brought a woman who espoused herself to be Palestinian. I don't remember what her background was. I don't remember the details of that. And a girl who was writing her PhD on like something to do with Palestinians. Okay. And it was like a bloodbath. I mean, they annihilated like the israel guy was not ready it was it was horrific people came from new school and were like waving kafias and palestinian yep. flags and stuff yep. and like these like little jewish lawyer people are like they're like sitting there numb they don't even know what to do like this is not new york jew material yep like we they don't know how to deal with this um and after that the next day i went to the um I don't know, whatever, registrar thing, and was like, I'm starting a pro-Israel organization on this campus. Because there wasn't one, if you can believe that. That is shocking. At Cardozo Law School, there this wasn't is, one. This is late 90s? This was 2000. I went into law school in 2000. Okay. okay. So, so 2000. 2000, 2001. Yeah. Um, and I needed 10 people to sign. And right. he was one of the people who signed, because I knew, Ishai. okay, Ishai. so we sit down in the first not, not class, Ishai, no, not Norman, 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 <laughs> I wouldn't let him touch my pen. Right. So, so the first, 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 first day of law school, they sit you down in your class, 
in a big classroom and they're like, why are you here? Right? Why are you like, why did you come to law school? I would say that 85% of the people said they were here to make good money, which I now as a grown up person can appreciate. Sure. Okay. Sure. But at the time, and because I was like a nice Jewish girl supported by my parents, like, let's just be fair. I was like money. That's why you're here. You're here for money. Like I'm here for like, I want to go work like in the state department. I want to like go do things, you know? How is it that all these, like, how is it that all these other people got here for money? Like, well, I would never even think of that. And then there was this other guy and he was like, I am an Israeli paratrooper and I'm going, after I go to law school, I'm taking what I learned here and I'm going to go build my country. I'm like, what? This is Yisha? Yes. Yeah. I'm like, who is this guy? Everybody and I was totally like, wow. Like, and he was really, really cute also. <laughs> and I was just like, foof, like this guy is really a guy to meet. Right. And I like have to get to know this person. We didn't actually get to know each other so, so well for a while, but he was in my first class in law school. Right. Um, and anyway, we went to this event. Flash forward. We went to this event. It was horrific. And I started this organization. Um, I called it Cardozo Heightening Awareness for Israel. Hi. Do you like oh, that? Cute. I know. Cute. I worked really hard on that. <laughs> So, so I started Cardozo Heightening Awareness for Israel, and I had a co-president, one of these girls who used to invite me for Shabbat, right. and we asked him to be the vice president because he's like this Israel guy. So we, um, we ended up doing like different activisms together um, in law school, including like protesting um, an award that was given to Desmond Tutu at the school, who was, right. who was a big um, activist for for apartheid, anti-apartheid in South Africa, and therefore got like himself a very great name. At the same time, was like a pretty rabid anti-Semite, and yep. I um, would not refuse to divorce the two things. Um, and Bill Clinton also came to the school, and he got an award during our tenure. We were already married by then, I think. No, no, false. We were not married by then. We were <laughs> okay. not married by then. Um, Bill Clinton came to the school, and he was receiving an award, and I organized a protest outside against what he'd done to us in Oslo. Right. Um, and I have to say, my mother called me before both of these things, and she's like, you got to do this. Really? Um, so this is my, like, my parents, as you can see, um, with all the, like, anti-religious, with yeah. all the, like, raising me in the middle of nowhere, they were major conduits for my... They um, sound like really principled people. Yes. They were really <laughs> principled people. Yeah. Um, they're great. They're great. You know, yeah. uh, my mother since passed away, uh, but my father, anyway, uh, to make a long story short also on that, like, uh, my father and I ultimately did make peace and now he's involved in my kids and he supports my, like, he's friendly with my husband and, um, like it's, everything's good, which, um, is big. When did you move to Israel? We graduated from law school in 2003. And we were in Israel like three weeks later. Yeah. Okay, you were already married. Yes, we in got law married school. after the second year of law school. There's three talk years about, of law school. Talk, talk about your wedding. <laughs> okay. Um, right. So I became religious. My parents disowned me, basically, mm. which is so funny, right? Because you would think that they kind of would have gotten it a little bit better, but they did not. They so did not. Um, I, it was also really the first time in my life I'd ever done anything my parents told me not to do. I was mm. such a good girl growing right. up, really. Like, 
I look back at it and I'm like, you should have like shaken it up a little bit more. Like I was so good. <laughs> and, um, you know, I moved away to law school and I think we also like, I'll just put it out there. Like we didn't have like necessarily the best communication, I think as a family sometimes. So I went off to law school and like all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but like, I don't know if I communicated well to them. My process, um, I don't know if that would have made a difference, but I didn't. I think I was scared to tell them. Yeah. Um, and just the, like their reactions were very hardcore. Right. Um, and they they basically disowned me. So um, when I started to date Ishai, though, I told them. I'm like, listen, because and it was the first boy I'd ever mentioned to my parents because it was it was like right away serious. Like we knew we were friendly. We would we had been doing activism. So we knew that if we were going, like, if we were going to date, that's like a whole other thing. Right. And, and, um, and that it was, it became, it was serious right away. <clears throat> and so I told them, I'm like, listen, I'm dating this guy. His name is Ishai. Also weird name, right? Ishai, what is that? Not Bob, Joe, not even David, right? right. It's like, <laughs> Ishai, what is that? I'm like, and you need to know, like, he has a beard and he wears tzitzit, right? And like, Anyway, I would speak to my parents once a week. This was way before so, uh, smartphones and texting sure, and all this stuff. Sure. And like I said, not great communication. So um, the next week I called my, my family. And I'm like, okay, well, let me talk to dad. And they're like, he doesn't want to speak to you. Wow. And I'm like, oh, man. Um, and anyway, and I'm like, why? And, and my mom's like, he's very upset that you're like dating this religious guy. Yeah. So I called him, my religious guy that I'm dating. And I'm like crying. And I'm like, my father's not speaking to me. And I was so upset. And I was frankly mostly upset because I knew that he would break up with me. Like who wants to be with that? Like who wants to get into that? And I'm crying and I'm like, listen, my dad, like he does not happy. And I'm like waiting on the phone to hear what he says. And he's like, do you want me to call him? Well. And I was like, wow, right? I couldn't believe like this, the, like I was, I couldn't believe it. So I'm like, yeah, right? So he calls my father, this guy, like he's in it. Unbelievable. Right? I couldn't believe it. So he called my father and like they talked a little bit. And the next week my father spoke to me. Like it wasn't like everything was fine sure, and he accepted sure. him. But the next week my father spoke to me. Like I said, it started to get serious um, pretty quick. So in the summer... Um, he led a birthright trip in Israel. And I went home. Now, I'm religious at that time. Right. Already. I still wore pants a little bit. Um, and I had a, an internship at the, um, the uh, attorney general in Texas's office, which happened to be in Sherman. Oh, well, interesting. So, so that was a cool internship. And I wore pants and like suits and stuff. Um, but I'm like keeping Shabbat and trying to keep kosher. It was really hard. It was a real source of tension with me and my family. Some stuff went down. I'm not going to go into it. But like there was like hardcore tension between me and my parents. Um, and Ishai was coming to visit and basically like talk to my parents. Right. The, the, the talk, talk <laughs> yeah. with my parents. And he sat down with my parents. And was like, you know, I want to marry. He sat down with my father, really, like old school. Yeah. And he was like, I want to marry your daughter. And my my father was like, no. Wow. <laughs> and, and, you know, to their credit, they did let him stay in the house. Like we were there. Yeah. Um, but it was it was very rough. Uh, I was 
frankly scared they wouldn't even let me go back to New York. Like, I, I don't know. It was very bad. It was very hard times. Um, and they, they said no. They were like, no. Like, you can't marry a daughter. Um, I did get to go back to New York. Like, they did send me back. I thought that they were going to unenroll. Like, I didn't even know what was going to happen. Sure. Um, a week later, we got engaged. Right. Um, because, like I said, if you go all the way back to the story of the Torah is true, um, if you don't go with what's right and what's true, you, like, you have to live with yourself. Like, you, you don't have, like, there's, there's, to me, like, your integrity, I don't even know if I can define the word integrity. It's like just being true to yourself. Like, just being mm -hmm. true to what you think is right and not letting other things fizzle you out, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I just was like, this is my man. Like, this is the person. This is my destiny. I have to do this. And I did it. Um, I called my parents to tell them that I got engaged. They told me they're sitting Shiva. Suddenly someone's so religious, right? We're sitting Shiva. I don't know if they actually said Shiva. Singer, yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but, uh, and I didn't speak to my father for four years after that. Yeah. And he didn't speak to me. Like, I was very angry. Anyway, so because of that, uh, and my parents told me they're not coming to the wedding and all this. So it was a uh, like very rough times in the family. Um, at that time, Ishai told me that he has this dream. And his dream is to get married in the city of couples. Right. Which is Hebron. Now, we got married in 2002, which was during the second intifada. Things in Israel were, it was bus bombings. Yeah, It sure. was shootings. Um, it was really a very powerfully difficult time here in Israel. And Hebron, which today, when things are not powerfully difficult, still like has this thing where people are like nervous to go to Hebron. At the time, it was like nobody goes to Hebron. You just don't go. Um, and he's like, I want to get married in Hebron. Now, Okay, like I'd never been to Hebron. We didn't go there on my teen sure. tour. I didn't know much about it. I'm still becoming, like I was religious. I was doing all the things, but like I had a whole ton of like info to catch up on. I, I didn't know, you know, much. I knew that it was like where the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs is. That's cool. I know who Abraham is. I know who Sarah is. I know who those people are. Yeah. Um, okay, like I'm, I'm totally not tied to anything. Like my parents are not coming. I don't have to make anybody happy. Let's do it. Um, and people found out that we were getting married in Hebron. And it was like such, people were in total shock from it. I had a lot of faith. I had a lot, I still have a lot of faith, Baruch Hashem. But I had a lot of faith in that time. I had um, become religious. I had found this person with a lot of passion and a lot of vision who I really um, was on the same page with ideologically and just like, we had a, you know, a powerful and good relationship. Um, and I just was like, I was just in a zone of going for it. I was just in a zone of like believing and having faith. And, um, and I was just like, okay. Like, it happened to me that when we came to Israel to actually get married, we were here a month earlier. I went to seminary in Neve Yerushalayim mm. for like a few weeks just to like have that experience, like immerse a little bit. Yeah. And that was actually, even though I was like barely in class and I was planning a wedding and like all this stuff, it was a very formative experience for me um, that I will never forget. I'm very, very grateful for those few uh, weeks in Neve Yerushalayim, which they gave me for free. 
by the way. Wow. That's the, like the greatness of that school. Wow. That they like understand that a person, like they, I was like, I want to learn about Judaism. I have nothing. My parents are not with me. And they were like, come. Gila went there also, by the way. Oh, wow. And loved it. It was, uh, I learned a ton. I, I, I don't necessarily subscribe to that like political stream, sure. if you could call it that today. But like some of the things I got there, to, I've, I've taken with me for the rest of my life. Uh, so up until now, and they were very important. Um, what am I saying? So when we got here to Israel and I like went to Hebron for the first time, which was like two weeks before my wedding, right. I was like, oh <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> like, oh. Like Wait, now why? I... Why? Well, it, it, Hebron... Where was it coming from? So Hebron has... Um, Hebron has uh, undergone a little bit of a renaissance since then. Thank Hashem. But at the time, it was like rubble. Like there was like, there was like, it was completely, it was like a movie scene. It was like, it was a mess. It was a mess. Right. There was just brokenness all over. Now, Marat Machpelah, the tomb of the patriarchs, not broken. I'm not talking about that. The tomb of the patriarchs, the matriarchs, Hashem has preserved it. The Jewish community has held on to it with yep. uh with their fingernails, and it's looking great. But but to get there, the road to get there was totally nuts. And the truth is I cried. Like when I first got there, I totally cried. And I'm like, I sacrificed everything for this. And um, nobody's coming to my wedding. Like I didn't know. I didn't have a family member at my Intense wedding. Intense moment. I didn't right. have a family member at my wedding. And I'm like, I right. like I could have, like my grandparents were like, you can get married in our backyard if you want. And we'll like make you a backyard wedding. And that was beautiful, you know? And, and some people would have done that and that would have made a lot of sense and sometimes i feel a little bad that like my grandparents were at my wedding but they were invited right they could have come to my to my wedding in Hebron. my aunts and uncles everyone was invited they could have all come um, but they chose not to um so for a second i cried i was just like this is what i gave up everything for like this is a mess rubble, rubble. it's rubble and dirt and look <laughs> it looks bad but then i gave it a few minutes <laughs> And I like tried to see with like more like spiritual eyes, you know, like not my physical, not my like bridezilla eyes, but my yeah. like Jewish girl eyes. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, okay, like this is cool. Like, okay, yeah, the road is like a little ghetto, but um, but like Marta Machpela, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And and when I ultimately got to my wedding, I um I had my kisek halal like you know where the bride sits in the room of Abraham and Sarah and Ishai had his uh tish his chassan's tish yeah. his like uh like signing of the ketub like of the ketub and all this um of the tznaim in the room of uh Isaac and Leah and I was like you know my parents aren't here but their parents are Abraham Jacob, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob. You said he was. Uh, sorry, sorry. Isaac, yes, Jacob and Leah, of yeah, course. Yeah, not yeah. Isaac. Isaac yeah, and yeah. Rebecca are in a totally different place. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jacob and Leah, right? Yeah. And I was like, you know, my grandparents are here. Like right. my grandparents' grandparents' grandparents That's are here. That's right. And so I'm not alone. You felt that wedding. way. Yeah. And I was. It was an incredibly joyous event. It happens to be that beforehand, everyone was trying to tell us not to do it, and they were convinced we were all going to die. And yes, we did have. Um, what's it called? Camo netting up in certain places because sure. we danced outside. And right. yes, it's true that I had to find somebody to walk me down the aisle at the wedding because I didn't have someone with me. And it was hard to find that because people didn't come as couples. The, the people who came, they sent one person. Right. 
Why? In case, in case someone that dies, should die, the other right? Then the parent, there's one, one parent left healthy. for the children, wow. right? So there was like one or two couples that came to our wedding, and I picked one of them, and they walked me down the aisle, um, and it was amazing. Like it was an amazing, it was amazing. Like it was uh, really the culmination of like a lot of struggle and pain, and. Um, and it was it was incredible, and yeah, we got married in Martzmachpela. And then back to law school. Back to law school. Yeah, we <laughs> did a little bit of Sheva Brachot in Israel, and then we came and 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 my mother-in-law, who is amazing, made us a big Sheva Brachot, a really big Sheva Brachot in uh, New Jersey, uh, and my okay. family came, and I even had family that flew in for that. Your parents? Um, to, no, not my parents. Okay. Okay. Um, my grandparents on right. both sides, uh, my aunts and uncles, right. they all came. Right. Um, to show me support, which was a very big deal it's beautiful. for me. Um, and it was a way that we could all celebrate together, even though, like, my, yeah, my parents were not there. Um, but I want to talk about that because um, it could sound like my parents are like monsters. You know what I'm saying? I and I really you've, you've don't You've done a really nice job of making it clear that your parents are awesome people. Right. I don't <laughs> want them to come out as monsters at yeah. all. And I want to say that uh, it's, this part is a long story, which I will not tell as a long story. But my mother basically got sick. She went to the hospital. Um, and I flew into Texas, like emergency style, to see her. She got better, but then she got worse and she, she passed away. But when I, when I was there, she was getting better. And my father and I made peace. And I tell my children to today that I really have respect for my father because it is very hard to do something very hardcore wrong and to come back from that. Most people don't have the guts for that. Most people don't have the guts to, like, it's not like he ever sat me down and was like, listen, I'm really sorry, I shouldn't have done that, okay? But in his actions, he showed me that he's trying everything he can to show that he supports me and my life and my kids and, and what we do. Um, and I'm like, that is what tshuva is. That is the power of tshuva, the of return. Like most people, they do not have the guts to to come from so far all the way back. And my father did that. So I'm not angry at him. Yeah. Um, at all. Um, and it's just part of my story. Look, right. life. You know, uh, life. And and uh, it taught me also. You know, today as a parent, it taught me more about like some do's and don'ts that I will be following. But uh, but everything's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you land in Israel as a married couple after law school. Right. And where do you set up shop? The reason we came to Israel so fast, <coughs> excuse me. Now it was, it was a, it was, um, it was actually ironically a big decision to come to Israel because we were doing Aliyah activism in New York. Right. Uh, Ishai had started an organization. Um, he'd started uh, an organization called Kuma which means arise, and we were trying to do activism in New York. We, would, we ordered like thousands of little um, lapel pins that say, I'm making Aliyah, and we would like ethnically profile people on the, <laughs> on the subway and like give it to them. Like we'd give it right. to them and like walk off the train. Yeah. Um, and we would run meetings. A lot of the people who came to our meetings have since made Aliyah. Not everybody, but a lot of the people did. And we were nervous to like leave that shlichut. Like nervous to like sure. uh, leave people as we're trying to build uh, an idea, but we felt that uh, Ishai was offered a job at a news company called Arutz Sheva, um, which is an Israeli news 
provider, which also has an English website. And they had like a very, very, very basic radio station. And they wanted a guy to like live in Beit El and to just like if the machine like pops off to like sh turn it back on, like stuff like that. Like really, they didn't want much from him. But we and they had found him because, not found him, but they kind of accepted him because he'd been writing all these, these articles about Aliyah and right. publishing them there. Right. And um, we were just like, this is, our, this is our chance. Like, this is a job, a whole job. Like, you know, today it's like the internet and like Zoom and all this stuff. And like, it's really so, people still come to Israel without a job. And those people are really brave and really, really cool. But a lot of people come to Israel with a job also now. Sure. Um, it's not yeah. like as, um, you know, like jumping into the deep end as it once was to come to Israel. Um, but we were like a whole entire job, like, whoa, <laughs> you know what I mean? So we packed up like our few items that we owned and we got on the plane and we, and we came and we went to live in a place called Beit El which is like a place in the Bible or something. Like we didn't know so much about Beit El and Ishai like went for his um, like little orientation meeting with the boss and I went to like go get a snack or a drink or something and I found this like little grocery store, Makolet, okay? I went yeah. and found this grocery store and it was closed because it was between the hours of two and four. Like that's how things used to work in Israel, like, they would do, like, the siesta thing. Yeah. And I was just like, what? Like, I had just <laughs> lived in New York City. Right. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, how am I going to live in this place? It's totally crazy. I didn't speak any Hebrew, nothing, nothing. Glida, maybe. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I knew no shalom. Like, I knew <laughs> nothing. And, like, I can't even get, like, a juice between the hours of two and four. I couldn't right. believe it. So that was, like, shocking. But I'm like, all right, like, um, I've already been through some stuff. Like, I just go with the flow, you know? And, like, we have this whole entire job. And we moved into... Now, we happened to be on the last flight before a four-month port strike. There used to be a lot more of that around sure, here. Sure, sure. Um, and so, like, we came with, like, three suitcases, and that's all we had for four months. But it was okay because we moved into a, a furnished apartment. So it wasn't so, so bad. And then we had this chance to move into a caravan, which is like a trailer home yeah. for uh, novices. Um, <laughs> we moved into this trailer home on a mountaintop in Beit El, and it was just awesome. We lived in that caravan for six, six and a half years. Um, it's totally great. I really recommend, I told all my kids that they should live in a caravan as their first house uh, as a married couple. It's just the best. Um, you live in well, a small. What's, what's great about it? Well, uh, there's a lot of great things. First, we had the merit of living on a mountain, which um, is the place where Jacob had his dream of angels going up and down the ladder. Like, what more meritorious like place could you live? It's just fantastic. But also, you get to like hold down the fort for a certain place until they're building there, which is, um, to me, a value. Um, right. Some people could find that controversial um, because they don't believe that Jews should ever expand out of where they currently are. I do believe Jews should be able to expand out of the box where they currently find themselves into other spaces. So to, to be part of an enterprise like that where you're holding down some land until it can be developed is nice. Um, but also because um, everybody has nothing. Mm. Like how much can you fit into one of those things? Not yeah. much, even if you have like a, um, a shed or something outside. 
Like it's small, every, every, life is simple. You don't like, there's not a lot of keeping up with the Joneses. Like us and our next door neighbor, we got together and we purchased um, um, some grass, like you know those squares that you can plant? Oh, real grass. Like real yeah, actual yeah, grass. Sure. And we were like, look how fancy we are. Like this is actual <laughs> grass. And we called it Little America. We had this <laughs> this lawn between us and our neighbors and our kids would play on it and other people yeah. would sometimes come and like sit on it just because uh-huh. it was like so incredible to have real grass. Um, and just like you share a lot and you see each other a lot and like you can hear the the people's baby crying like three right. houses down and right. it's like, it's just cool. Um, if you have good neighbors, it's just a really cool experience. Yeah. I want, I want to shift gears for okay. a second. Um, th- th- we could go on for four hours, but... Um, <laughs> I want to shift to talking about, um, given how you grew up, yeah. remembering your own childhood, your own education, your own upbringing, um, what's it like bringing up kids in Israel? Um, I know it's a broad question. It is a broad question. I mean, great. Like that would be, if I had to say it in one word, it's great. Um, do I do I think that like we're we're completely you never have to think about questions of like which is the right school are my kids hanging out with the right kids um, am I am like imbuing my kids with the right values you still think about those things uh, definitely I'm thinking about them right now as a matter of fact with a couple of my kids um, but like it's an organic as my husband often says it's like a much more organic Jewish experience. Um, there's Jews all over the place. Like there's a lot of Jews. Sometimes that actually makes it more complicated, right? Because because not every single human being is doing their best or succeeding at doing their best. And um, sometimes, you know, like uh, politics in Israel. Now it happens to be that as a kid, I did not know anything about politics. I never paid attention to any of that. Right. But, but kids in Israel are like, they, they know from like eight years old. I don't know, they're like in it. They're like in it right away. They're. They know all about everything that's going on. Not everything, but they know like a jo- lot of your stuff. Your daughter just walked by and she's like laughing about how correct you are. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so, so for example, if we'll have a government that's like doing things that we as a family do not um, agree with, like my kids will be upset. Yeah. Because it's like these are Jews doing this. Like this is a Jewish state messing itself up. And that makes them mad, right? If this was the United States and it's Joe Biden or whatever, so it would be like whatever, like it's just some guy and like America, you know, you could be upset or not upset, but like it's, it doesn't feel as personal. Things here that don't work out like get under your skin more. Right. Um, so how do you deal with that as a parent? Seeing that it impacts your kids in ways that you were never impacted growing up. Um, first of all, I, I say like to it, them. Right? There's, a, there's, a, there's a part of you that kind of I mean, I'm happy. That, Look. Right? My kids should be on the inside, not the outside. Yeah. Like, my yeah. kids are in. They're in the story. They're in the problems. They're in the mess. Um, do I wish I could create, like, a perfect bubble for them to live in? 100%. I think most parents want that for their kids. Um, honestly, I, I tell them the same thing that I tell non-kids or people not in my family, which is read the Tanakh. Read the Tanakh. If you read the Tanakh and you get anywhere deeply into it, you will see that the same stuff that's happening today has already happened, the same disasters, the same like uh, face palms, the same like, oh my gosh, or like really, really? Like we've done this all before. So at least take heart that it's not like we've degraded into some like horrible, lost, 
nation of people who have absolutely no idea what the plot is and we're like going off the deep end. No, we're not going off the deep end. All the like villains are still there. All the like people who are worshiping the Baal are still there. Like all the people who are like Mila Hashem Alai, all the Maccabees, they're still there. Like all the people, all that stuff is still happening. That can be a little frustrating because it would be nice to like progress <laughs> as a nation and to right. not be stuck in the same patterns as we always have. But I think we will. I think we're getting there. And I think the people really want to. And so I tell the kids, like, be strong and keep it, keep on the track. And history is progressing. And, and we are trying with our sometimes teensy ways and sometimes a little bit bigger ways, trying to make it better. And like, it's your job also to make it better. It's our great merit to live in the land of Israel. Merit is not the word. As I said before, the, you know, there was a, there's a girl inside who remembers that you know, all these generations of people have been trying to get to where I am, and now I'm here, right? right? That girl from the Kotel. And that is a humongous merit. But there's obligations. And you don't get to just like, come here and get the customer service of living in the land of Israel. Like, you don't, it's not like, serve me my spirituality. Like, give me my, like, you know, perfect state. Um, you, we are here to be part of making it better. That's our job. You've grown into that, or you knew that all along? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I think, you know, having uh, worked, so Ishai got this job at Arut Sheva when we first moved to Israel. And I also got a job soon after that, also at Arut Sheva, writing news. And then pretty soon... Um, Ishai is like full of positivity and full of ambition and he um, wanted to like grow the radio station that had like two shows on loop all day no joke okay so like he news. started a show I started a show then we brought on some other people you know anything about that <laughs> I guess I was one of them yeah. that's right <laughs> um, so we we created this like gorgeous little radio station it was, it was amazing it was amazing. Uh, it was amazing. It was, and a lot of the people who were involved in that are like still crossing paths all the time. Like here we are. Right. Um, and like we had live shows where people would call in and all this. Um, and so, and we were talking all the time about Judea and Samaria. And as you get involved in politics, we were also there for the expulsion from Gush Katif. So I think that, um, I think that, I guess I, if you could say I always knew it, like I guess from my beginnings in Israel, I've been involved in, thank Hashem, I've uh, been involved in trying to, to make it better. And I guess also maybe knowing that like not everything is handed for, to you, you know, sure. um, and having to like make my own Jewish journey and knowing that it's work, maybe that informed it too. I don't know. What are you doing these days? So these days, um, I am working for JNS, which is a news organization um, that has branches in Israel and the United States, providing news Yeah, it's like to, the Associated Press for Jewish stuff. Right. Um, and I'm also very heavily involved in the, uh, you know, different work that Ishai is doing in Hebron. I try to do editing work for them. And um, I, was, I had the great privilege of being there when they, they um, welcomed uh, former Vice President Mike Pence. Right, right. Just a few uh, weeks ago. Just a few weeks ago. And then uh, more recently, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo mm -hmm. and former Ambassador David Friedman. Um, we're working um, not with them separately. Now take a breath. We are working on some very cool projects um, uh, for Israel that I don't know if it's right to talk about them now. But 
Uh, like we're still going. We're still trying to do our activism. You don't want to give me the exclusive on, on what you're working on. Raise our kids. <laughs> um, it has to do. It has to do with. Um, it has to do with the road between that, that goes up and down in Judea and Samaria. Right. It has to do with. Um, it has to do with. The, oh, talk about it. I see Ishai's in the background. He says to talk about it. Here we go. So you get the exclusive, okay? Um, road sixty. We are working Route sixty. Um, is a road that stretches all the way, uh, not all the way, but basically from Nazareth all the way down through Beersheba, Be all the way up and down through Judea and Samaria. And this is basically the road that our forefathers, and I'm talking about the original forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, used traveling up and down um, Judea and Samaria through their stories in the Bible and things that didn't make it into the Bible. Um, and it's like we, all the key stories, right? Are all the key stories roads, and all right, like all the major hotspots for awesome spiritual action that occurred um, in the famous book, the Bible. Um, they all occurred up and down this road, and Ishai initiated this, and I'm trying to work with him on it, it to have this officially recognized by the state of Israel and beyond as Israel's biblical highway. It sounds so like a no-brainer. It's it would it still it's would be technically Route 60, yeah. but not to be called per se Israel uh, Route 60, but Israel's biblical highway, and to create a whole tour like touristic is a kind of a negative term, but I don't know what else to use like a whole tourism associated with mm -hmm. that highway um, to create like educational opportunities for everyone Israelis, non-Israelis, Jews, non-Jews. Yeah. Um, and to really just use this road as a facilitator for the entire discussion of Judea and Samaria. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. And it's moving forward. And it's it's crazy cool. And like I said, it's a slam dunk. Like it, it's You're not manipulating anything for the sake of, it's of anything. It's it, like, it's this there. is it. Yeah. We're not, you don't <laughs> have to create anything. It's always been it. It's and, it. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. All right. Um, oh, one more question before we uh, get to the rapid fire questions. Okay. So now, so we talked about Beit El. We talked about um, Haraz Eitim. Yeah. You're in Efrat now. Yes. Why Efrat? Uh, Hashem put us here. Sometimes I don't know okay. uh, the exact answer to that. Uh, it, look, there's, there's a lot of good reasons uh, to be in Efrat. First of all, I sort of never envisioned myself living in Efrat, but having lived here now, um, it's a very impressive town, very, very impressive town. Um, for, for new immigrants, it's like a dream. Like it's, it's the, right. like the, the forms are like in English and Hebrew. Like it right. couldn't be, they try so hard to make it easy. And they really see it as their mission here to help people integrate, um, like to come to yeah. Israel. Um, so that's really amazing. The whole soft landing thing. Right. It is, yeah, yeah. Uh, it is probably, it's one of the softest landings you can get. I think Ramat Beit Shemesh also has a soft landing in a couple other places, but Afrat is, and it's famous for that. Um, it's halfway between Jerusalem and Hebron. So Ishai is the international spokesperson for the Jewish community of Hebron. That makes it a lot easier for him to do his job and for us to get either to Hebron or Yerushalayim. That's very good. Um, Having lived in Beit El, which is Samaria, and then Harazetim, which is Jerusalem, now living in Judea has been a real beautiful experience. Wow, interesting. Um, and I have to say, and this sort of was not by choice, but like we looked back on it and we're like, whoa, that's cool. We've only lived in biblical cities. Right. We lived in Beit El, Yerushalayim, now Ephrat. 
Um, those are all biblical cities, so that's really neat. Um, and, and frankly, all those places have different energies. Even Judea from Samaria has different energies. And so it's been a real gift to be able to uh, learn and appreciate the differences and the nuances of these different places. Um, will Efrat be our last stop? Like, have we found like our forever place? I don't think so, but it's not because Efrat is bad or something. I just think that necessarily, I, I just think that maybe we're looking to go back to a little bit of more of that like hard, more hardcore like settler experience. Yeah, yeah. And Efrat, unfortunately, is so nice already that it's yeah, not like yeah. all places should become like this. You know what I mean? It's uh, every place should become like a sweet, comfortable place in Israel. Well, well, as you know, when when we first made Aliyah, we lived in a place called Kochav Yaakov, and uh, our rav there, when Kochav Yaakov was was quote unquote getting big, yeah, he moved to Givat Asaf. Right. <laughs> Right, because, to this little, little... Because, I mean... Yeah, it was, like, too comfy for him. It's not even a hilltop. It's just sort of, like, right. a little incline. Yeah, basically, <laughs> you know? yeah. And because he wanted to make more of a difference. Right. Uh, so I get it. I get it. Yeah. Okay, uh, so rapid-fire questions. Go. Here's the deal. Um, this is kind of fascinating for me because... Uh, with everyone else, I've just asked the questions. But this is sort of like... Do you remember the old TV show, The Newlywed Game? Yeah. Where, like, it's a husband oh, and wife. See. The husband oh, gets scared. sent out. And, okay. So, so Yishai has answered these. Okay. So, uh, some of them are specific to you or to him, but some of them are, are about your family. So let's right. see. Let's see. Let's okay, see. let's see how well I know <laughs> Here the we answers go. to this. My, my daughter's watching. In the Fleischer home. Okay. Kedem or Israeli grape juice? Israeli. In fact, I, I like Kedem grape juice. Okay, disclaimer. I like Kedem grape juice delish. But I try very hard to buy Israeli grape juice to the degree that the brand of grape juice, the Israeli brand of grape juice that I buy, sometimes imports from outside right, of the land of careful. Israel. And I read the labels in the back because I way prefer to buy the Israeli grape juice, even at a higher price, even at whatever, than to buy the American grape juice, just because I feel like that is the merit that I have to drink Israeli grape juice. Similar question. Heinz or Israeli ketchup? You know... Fun fact, yeah. Israeli ketchup has more tomato percentage than American ketchup. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I know that. Heinz ketchup is like 62% tomato, whereas Israeli ketchup is like 83% tomato. Go look. You'll see. So and I so, like the, I choose the tomato year one. But I have been known to buy like, some Heinz every once in a while. Like? I don't think she cares. She's not such no, a ketchup okay. person. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, What's the Israeli food that you love the most? Oh, man. I'm feeling shawarma right now. My answer could change on a different day. Shawarma is just good. Okay. And is there an Israeli food that Israelis seem to love and you're like, how could they possibly like that? Well, I will tell you that I had the shock of my life the first time I ate bamba. <laughs> I came on that, that trip as a 15-year-old right. when I came and... I was like, mmm, cheese puffs. Because I don't read here. I didn't know. I didn't read the package. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> what? Peanut butter. That took me a while. But I, I like Bombo okay now. I've had it to all my kids. So you get rid of that. That's, I think that's how Israelis have like the least amount of peanut allergy, like in the world yeah, yeah. of children. Yeah. I think it's because of the Bombo. So I, I homeopathically treated my children with Bombo as children and thank God they're okay. Uh, have you tried to do the Israeli Hebrew accent 
I totally try. Yes, mm -hmm. I totally try. I totally fail. I'm totally okay with it. Um, I think I talk to Israelis about this a lot. I've lived in Israel now, Baruch Hashem, for 20 years almost. Okay, we're coming up. I think this summer is 20 years of marriage, 19 years of living in Israel. Okay. Um, and I full on try to do an Israeli accent. People still speak to me in English. My Hebrew is pretty good. I went through Ulpan, yeah. and I, t I definitely can converse and get through in Hebrew really pretty well. Um, but I have an accent. It is what it is. My grandmother came to America at like 20 years old. Right. She, Bliyan Hara, this summer is turning 95 years old. Wow. She still has an accent. You just, it just is what it is. Like you're an immigrant. Like this is my country and my people and all that. I'm an immigrant. And it's just going to stay that way. But I do try. I think that Israelis actually appreciate that. Um, and I think that there's like, you get some respect points. Interesting. From trying. Um, and they'll often tell me like, your accent's not that bad. That's what they'll tell okay. me. Like you have an accent, but it's not that bad. It is not good, <laughs> but I think it comes, like I get extra points for trying. Um, any pet peeves about life in Israel? Mm, no, I don't know. I'm not a pet that. peeve. I don't have like a particular thing. Wait, Ishai's looking at me like I don't know what I'm talking about. Ishai, what's my pet peeve? Okay. Yes, I'm going with the yes. Ishai has answered my question correctly. Yes, post-Zionist government, not having figured it out. Right. Not. Um, That's right. You talked about that before. Right. Not. Century after century. Ah, oh, yeah. Ishai, yeah, here, would you like to come do this no, interview, no, Ishai? Okay. okay. Yeah, the, oh, pet peeve, not being totally sure of my kid's security all the time. That could be one. Yeah. Like, like uh, you know, here in Efrat, it's pretty relaxed. But when I lived on the Mount of Olives, if Ishai would be home 15 minutes late, I would start to worry, like I'd start to sweat. Right. And thank God, like we never had a major incident. Yeah. Like we've had some incidents, but we've all, everything has always come out okay. Um, I see certain people who are able to walk down the roads freely, not worrying about if someone's going to stab them in the throat or shoot them in the back. I can't walk down the, the highway totally blindly. I don't go to the grocery store with headphones on, for right. example, because I think that's unsafe because you, you don't be know. Aware. You need to be aware of what's going on around you. Uh, I guess, I mean, it's so big that I wouldn't have called it a pet peeve because it's right. like, that's right. I, I, I think you. of pet peeves as like little cute things, not like major right. existential things. Um, but yeah, the fact that we have not like figured it out and gotten tough and just looked the world in the eyes and said, we are who we are and our land is what it is and like everyone's just going to suck it up and deal with it. That would be my quote-unquote pet peeve, yes. Okay. You showed some tears earlier. Yes. Um, this is a different kind of question. What brings you to tears of joy or pride? Well, I guess, like, you know, going back to your question about, like, how is it to raise kids in Israel? When I just see them, like, my son just, um, my son just finished Chumash Bereshit. Right. He's six. Um, and he just finished um, the book of Genesis with his class. And then they got up, uh, they, had a, they had a ceremony outside Marat Machpelah, actually. Um, and they're just like little adorable kids, and there's like 150 of them, and they're like screaming out these like psukim, these like um, all the like end of the Torah, they say it out loud uh, by heart. Right. And I'm just like, 
yes, <laughs> right? Like this, like this is why I, I'm alive. Do you know what I'm saying? Like this is like what you live for. This is what I sacrifice for. This is what I wanted. It happened. It's happening. That's, I guess that would be it. Yeah. Um, is there a place in Israel other than where you live that mm -hmm. you just love to visit? There's so many places I love to visit. Gosh, there's like places I love to go spiritually. There's places I love to go for fun. There's places like we just got back yesterday. We took the kids on an extra day off to the beach in Ashkelon. Ashkelon's a super ancient city. In fact, scallions, the green onion, yeah. are named after Ashkelon because the Romans were like, these are some good onions. Interesting. Yeah. And they're named after Ashkelon. Fun fact. Look it up. Scallion, Wikipedia. Ashkelon. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Wow. Um, you know, we just went there. Um, whenever I'm feeling like I'm having like a spiritual emergency, like I'll go to Kever Rachel, uh, the tomb of Rachel, or I'll go to um, the tomb of Samuel the prophet. Uh, I love those places. Yeah. Um, one of the coolest things, though, is finding a new place that you didn't know you love, you know? Um, we just we just uh, went to Samaria during uh, when was it Cholamoid no Lagba Omer for Lagba Omer we went to into Samaria and we saw some we went to actually uh, the Shiva of uh, Noam Raz who was uh, a great hero of Israel who mm -hmm. was gunned down in action and uh, we ended up at his Shiva house because Mike Pompeo and David Friedman were going there and we're working with them on the biblical highway and they were exactly filming for that and we went to go also be Menachem and also to, to watch this occur and we saw the beautiful community of Kida mm. which well, okay well yeah. why would you have been there right, right. it's like uh, it's this beautiful place uh, it hasn't been officially recognized, so everybody like built their house with money that like could be taken away from them because the government could come and like destroy their houses because our government still does stuff like that. Yeah. And we saw this beautiful place, and I'm just like, wow, kida, and like put it in the bank. You know what I mean? Like yeah. put it in the personal in inside the heart bank of like beautiful places <laughs> in Israel. Yeah. So that's cool. I don't know. Maybe there's a uh, hundred places that I absolutely love in Israel that I just don't know about yet. What do you miss about the place you came from? Um, the place I came from, well, we have Amazon delivery in Israel now, Baruch Hashem, so I don't have to miss that. Um, what do I miss? Um, sometimes I miss, uh, this is a funny thing, it's so silly, but sometimes I miss like more variety at the grocery store. Do you ever yeah. get that? There's Do you ever tremendous... like, I don't, there's only two barbecue sauces. <laughs> I want 20 barbecue sauces to choose from. You know what I'm saying? They're also com always coming up with something new over there. True. It's like, look, now your yogurt is in a tube. You know, <laughs> that's fun. But um, in reality, like, I miss. Like, sometimes there, there'll be a thing. Um, sometimes I think to myself it would be nice if housing prices were a little cheaper. Maybe that's something I miss. Like, like ease of, like, moving here, moving there. Like, things being cheap. Like, things... You know, in America, sure. things are very cheap. That's like one of the greatness. Uh, America has a lot of real greatnesses, but one of the like cute greatnesses of America is that like life is pretty easy um, if you have like a couple dollars in your pocket, you know? Right. So here it's like a little bit more of a, a struggle, not what it was also, a lot easier than it used to be, but uh, maybe some of the like ease of living. Two more questions. Okay. Is Aliyah for everyone? 
it's is Aliyah for everyone. I mean, I'm not going to say no. Like, I'm not going to say that that there's there's some Jews who should not make Aliyah. I can't imagine saying that. Um, do I think that every person will feel like Aliyah is for them once they got here? Not necessarily. Um, you gotta have you gotta have optimism, at least to some measure. You gotta have a sense of humor. If you don't have a sense of maybe those people. People who don't have a sense of humor, maybe you shouldn't. Right. Um, you got to have some guts. Um, and you got to have some humility, I think. People who are completely at zero on those things, maybe Aliyah is not for them. Wow. What's your magnet? What? What if do you, you mean? If you, that's not obvious to you? No, I mean, I have a lot <laughs> of magnets on the on the door right now. Uh, that's exactly yeah. it. So... If you were to have a magnet about your life in Israel, what would it say on it? Oh, interesting. What would it say? Oh, my gosh. I'm really bad at stuff like that. <sighs> Malka was here. I don't know. Uh, W-U-Z. Yeah, W-U-Z. <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe it would be like one of the like, don't sweat the small stuff or something. Right. You know? Yeah. Don't sweat the small stuff. It'll be all right. Just, uh, there's a God. He doesn't always do what we want on the national and on the personal. And we have to come to terms with that wherever we are in the world. So it's going to be a big magnet. Oh, to- oh no, no, no. I'm just, I'm just uh, describing. I'm just talking about my magnet. No, my magnet. Yeah, don't sweat the small stuff. That's it. The end. Period. Yeah. Malcolm Fleischer, thank you so much. Thank you. For allowing me to come into your home and speak with you and hear your story and for you uh, spending the time to return again to your Aliyah story.